few years ago, the uh, church that I served finished a uh, multi-million dollar building program. It took a couple of years. And uh, after it was uh, over, uh, our local newspaper asked if uh, they could interview me, take some pictures. So they set up a time to do that. And uh, I welcomed the uh, reporter to my office. We sat down and uh, talked through some things, answered some questions. And, and, uh, and he said, well, I think it'd be good now to go around and take some pictures of you in this church building. And uh, I said, okay, let's go. And he said, well, don't you think you better put your robe on first? And uh, I, I've never worn a clerical robe. That's that's not my deal, and I, I, had, uh, I was wearing a, a sport jacket, which I thought was pretty nice, and a tie, and I said, well, I don't, I don't wear one of those, and, and uh, he said, well, there's one right there, and he pointed, uh, and there's a, a black baptismal robe hanging on the back of my office door, and uh, I said, well, I, I don't wear that. that, that's just, I used to wear that for baptism, he said, well, I, I think you should wear it. I don't know why I agreed to do that, um, but I, I put on the, the black baptismal robe that had a broken zipper, and I had to hold it like this, and we walked around the, the church and went into the, the worship center, and he took several nice pictures of me clutching my robe, and uh, that, that appeared on the front page of our local paper, and People were, what, why are you wearing a robe? They, they didn't understand that. But clearly, I did not match the, the picture of what this guy envisioned as a clergyman. What can you wear that would cause you to stand out, to be identified as a follower of Jesus? Well, in this series, What Not to Wear, we're focused on what a Christian should be like. But, but it's not about clothes. It's about character and conduct. It's not about style, but spirituality. It's not about fashion, but attitudes, behaviors, and, and speech patterns. And we're going verse by verse through Colossians chapter 3. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to uh, the, the Christians living in the ancient city of Colossae. And, and uh, these are people, he didn't form this church. This is not one that he founded. These are people he hasn't met, but they are people who heard the good news because of his message. How did that happen? Well, the Colossae is 100 miles away from the city of Ephesus, and there in Ephesus, Paul spent two years preaching the good news about Jesus. And we're told in the New Testament that because of those two years, everybody in Asia, every person in Asia heard the gospel of Christ, and that included the people in Colossae, 100 miles away. And so that church was formed. And why is Paul writing to these people? Well, he's concerned about them. Even though he himself is in jail at that moment, he's concerned because he's heard that false teaching is impacting the church. Uh, th there are believers here who are beginning to question the completeness of their faith in Christ. Their confidence in Jesus was being weakened by false teaching. And so Paul spends the first half of this letter, the first two chapters, uh, 
reminding them that Christ is sufficient, that He is enough. He assures them that through Jesus, all who believe have been made new. And he says in chapter 2, verse 13, you were dead in sin, but God made you alive with Christ and forgave all your sins. And so that's true of these Colossians who put their faith in Jesus. It's true of every single one of us today whose faith is in Jesus alone. And that powerful truth is something that we must constantly be reminded of and cling to. If you truly believe, the difference is not now that you can simply check that religion box that says Christian. No, the difference is that you were dead, but now you are alive. Before Christ, you were lost. You were without hope. You were dead in sin. Uh, But in Christ, you have been forgiven. You're filled with hope. You're a new creation. And that's who this letter is written to. Those whose trust is in Jesus, who've been reborn. And so when that's true... You see yourself a new way. Paul's going to emphasize that again here in a moment. And you see others in a new way as well. Uh, So in Christ, there's this new community. So we'll pick up where we left off last week with verse 11, where Paul says, here, that's in this church, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So for those who've been made alive in Christ, All distinctions and barriers are removed. Uh, We have different likes and dislikes. We have different backgrounds and tendencies and strengths and weaknesses and differences of personality. Yes, that's all true. But through Christ, these differences don't have to divide us, don't have to keep us separate. Uh, Notice the comparisons here. Let me talk them through. Greek and Jew. Uh, Greeks had a heritage of culture and art and philosophy and power. Jews, of course, had a a long and rich history as well, but often lived under the domination of other world powers. And so the ancient world was split up into these different ethnicities. But ethnicity doesn't matter if we're in Christ. That's Paul's point. What about circumcision? He said circumcised, uncircumcised. Um, Circumcision was the mark in the flesh that you were part of God's covenant when you belonged to Israel. Uh, And when the church got started, all the Jewish men were circumcised, but the Greeks and Roman men were not circumcised. And that difference could have been divisive. But in Christ, circumcision was no longer important. It wasn't required for salvation. Uh, What mattered was the heart. Did God have your heart? How about barbarian and Scythian? Well, uh, barbarians refers to people who are uncivilized or primitive They used to make Capital One commercials. I don't think they do that anymore. What's a Scythian? Scythians were worse than barbarians. Okay? Um, uh, One uh, authority says this about Scythians. They had the most filthy habits and never washed in water. They drank the blood of the first enemy killed in battle and made drinking bowls of the skulls. So, So... We don't think well of barbarians. Scythians were worse. Barbarians looked down on Scythians as the dregs of society. And so so in Christ, all such division is removed. You used to be a barbarian Scythian? That doesn't matter any longer if you're in Jesus. What about slave and free? In Greek and Roman society, a slave was property. 
But in Christ, slaves and freemen were brothers, sisters. They could worship side by side. A slave could be a leader in the church, even over those who were free. Because Christ is all that matters. He's sufficient. He's everything. He's enough. Loyalty to Jesus takes precedence over every other loyalty. And so what distinguishes us is not our skin color or our social status or ethnic origin. Uh, What distinguishes us uh, is not our wardrobe or our background or our occupation, but what sets us apart is is that we have been made alive by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we must... uh, focus on that we must make that priority in our lives as the people of God as we studied the first 11 verses of chapter 3 last week and we answered these questions we saw some things that needed to be stripped away from the lives who are new creation you've been made alive in Christ and there's some things that need to be stripped away attitudes behaviors words I need to take off like old clothes Uh, I like Dr. Gordon's uh illustration of this many years ago he said that in autumn when the trees shed their leaves um, I have seen two or three leaves stuck fast to the branches through all the storms of winter but then when spring has come and the sap begins to ascend the leaves are pushed off by the rising tide of new life I like that image for those who are new, have new life in Christ, there are some old leaves that maybe continue to cling to us that need to be pushed off. And that's what part one was about, those things that we need to push off from us. But now, these next few verses comes the list of what I need to put on as a follower of Jesus. New clothes that match who I am in Christ. Verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So this list of good things that begins here in verse 12 that you need to put on is relevant because of your identity in Christ. So it reminds us of that identity again. You, you are chosen. The Greek word for chosen here is eklektos, where we get our word elected, election. God has selected you. If your faith is in Jesus, God has uh, selected you. He's chosen you. He has a specific purpose for you. And you're holy. Holy refers to how you have given God your brokenness and your sin. And God has given you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, He has made you holy. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. You are holy in the sight of God because of Jesus. And you're beloved. That means that God simply has set his love on you. So because this is true, because you are chosen, you are holy, you're beloved, therefore put on some things that match that identity. Put on this new outfit. And there are eight qualities listed here in verse 12 through verse 14. And these qualities, they're evidence that I've been made alive in Christ. These qualities are the kinds of things that reduce friction between you and me. Uh, these things that show the world the power of, of God's grace. So I want to look at each of them, uh, each one of these eight qualities, and then identify a guiding principle for us as the people of God. So the first is a compassionate heart. And I, one way to define this is tenderness toward the suffering and miserable. Pastor Dave defined compassion for us well last week, and he used the phrase that love, it's a love that looks and feels and acts. It's simply because of Jesus, you care about others. This tenderness toward others because of Jesus. 
Many of you will very keenly remember 2005, Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans. And uh, one of the things that came out of that is the regional director of FEMA uh, sent emails to the head of FEMA about the crisis. And to quote one of his emails, he said, Sir, the situation is past critical. Hotels are kicking people out. Thousands gather in the streets with no food or water. Hundreds still being rescued from homes. Estimates are many will die within hours. Evacuation in process. We're out of food and running out of water at the dome. Staff working in deplorable conditions. Phone connectivity impossible. And to that email, the director responded, thanks for update, anything specific I need to do or tweak. Well, as a result of that, there was an investigation that went on that for, at the very least showed that the, the, the director of FEMA was detached from his job and from what was needed there. He was out of touch with the need. That's somebody being paid, or that's their responsibility to care, and didn't care. That's not compassion. When I belong to Christ, I must put on compassion. Now, it's impossible for us to respond to every need. It's impossible for us to soothe every wound, to solve every problem, to care about everything. But as God's child, I must wear compassion. And so there's those in my circle of influence, I must care about the suffering and misery of others in particular. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 calls God the Father of compassion. And so when I am compassionate, I look more and more like my heavenly Father and less and less like my fleshly self. Uh, then there's kindness, which is a gracious disposition. It's what God shows to me when he doesn't judge me as my sin deserves, but gives me his grace and mercy through Jesus. Now, I was planning to quote Ellen DeGeneres today, but Dave beat me to it last week uh, about kindness. Uh, without repeating too much, I just remind you that how Ellen defended her friendliness to uh, former President George Bush by saying that she, she says, when I say be kind, I mean be kind to everyone, not just those that think the way you do. Now with Ellen, here's a celebrity who's known for kindness. She's known for that, known for talking about it. But that, I don't think, springs from any Christian belief system. And, and it just makes me wonder, why aren't more celebrity Christians known for kindness? Why isn't that? I, I, I've pondered that for many years. I have met and worked with countless high-profile Christian pastors and leaders and theologians and musicians and quote-unquote celebrities, and I would say kindness would not crack the top 100 thoughts that I've had for most of them. Why is that? Why is that? As Romans 3.12 says, a lack of kindness is actually a characteristic of those who are apart from God. And so when you show kindness and goodness, you're wearing something that matches your identity as a Christian. And humility. Humility. Which I, I think a, a good thing to remember is it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's a good way to phrase that. It's the opposite of arrogance. It's a proper opinion of yourself, not an exaggerated idea of your own importance. The New Testament tells us not to think too highly of ourselves and to think not just of our own interests, but the interests of others. So humility is an article of clothing that matches your identity in Jesus. And then there's meekness. Meekness, it's a gentleness that cares about the rights and feelings of others. Now our culture prizes self-assertiveness. Uh, uh, but one who is gentle 
cares about the rights and feelings of others, not getting their own rights as priority. When you are meek, you are willing to make concessions. And how you go about this matters. It's been said that 90% of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice. 90%! See? Now, I can't vouch for that percentage. But I know that the same words can carry a completely different message simply by how I say them. And I, for a long time, and continue to work on this. Uh, when I have hard conversations, which I do regularly, hard conversations with other people to work on gentleness uh, and, and to think, how would I want to be talked to if this was me? And far too often I hear of somebody who says, you know, they're, they're nice in person, but they're nasty on social media. Oh, God forbid that that be true of you. Whatever you are should be the same on social media as it is in person and vice versa. Jesus refers to himself as gentle and humble of heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. When you speak and act in consideration of others, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're wearing an outfit that matches who you are. Fifth, patience. That's the ability to endure insult without immediate retaliation. Uh, That's why you have the translation long-suffering. Now, my nature is to be a fixer. My nature is when something needs to be done, I want to do it, and I want to do it quickly. When there's a problem, I want to solve it now. And when I've been attacked or when I've been insulted, I want to address that immediately. And that's not always wise. That's not always patience. A few weeks ago, I discovered that someone had lied to me, not someone here, so don't worry. And, and um, my immediate, I want to address this. I want to deal with this. And I've realized and discovered that sometimes that's, that's simply not the best. And, and better to delay, to hold back any anger that might be there and, and allow patience to coordinate with godliness and hold that anger in check until you know the right course of action. That's patience. And then he continues, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Um, So we have the bear with, which is to put up with things you dislike in others. That's the the sixth quality, bear with. Uh, Enduring the annoyances and petty complaints uh, that we because there there are things that we find irritating in other people, and shockingly, there are things in our own lives that other people find irritating as well. And it's not that these things are wrong necessarily, but they just rub you the wrong way, and that's the kind of bear with that we need to have. Uh, so my daughter, who who says she likes my singing, she doesn't like some other things that I do in carrying a tune. She doesn't care for my whistling. Uh, she doesn't like what she calls mouth trumpeting, which is and I tend to do that a lot for some reason. She doesn't like that. She doesn't like my rhythm slapping either. She says, I, 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 I don't know why I do that. I'll beat a tune with my, my hands or my legs. And she says, please stop slapping. It's so annoying. Now, until she brought that up, my wife never, this never bothered her. I think it's starting to bother her now. Every person will say and do things that will annoy us if you spend enough time with them. And it's those kinds of petty things that aren't wrong, 
uh, that we need to bear with one another, surely. And then he says, forgive. Forgive as you've been forgiven. You see, it's not enough to hold your anger in check, to put up with the annoying things other people do. You must forgive. Clearly, there will be complaints. And by the way, that word complaint here doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. So we don't have a a real clear grasp of what those grievances might be. But But those disagreements happen. And so you must put on forgiveness. Now let me point out something else to you, that most everywhere else the New Testament talks about forgiveness, it uses the, the Greek word aphemy. The aphemy means to let it go. And no, I'm not going to sing that song. Put it down. Drop it. Let it go. But it, here, it doesn't use the word aphemy. It uses the word charizomai. Charizomai, which means to give grace. To give grace. Cut them slack. Give freely to this one who has wronged you. So a a woman whose husband left her wrote to an advice columnist, and here's what she said. "Uh, After two years, I finally managed to get my life going forward. I don't want any counseling. I know full well what happened with my husband's midlife crisis. I was betrayed and discarded. My ex is a selfish, backstabbing, cheating pig, and I will hate him until the day I die. If he dies first, I can dance on his grave. I don't need a therapist to tell me how to deal with this. My hate makes me strong. I believe it's healthy. There's nothing to be gained by forgiving someone who has done you wrong. Well, she really let that loose. And the advice columnist said, you are a walking advertisement for therapy. Bitterness will eat you alive. But, but frankly, I think you, you, can, you can identify with this woman's feelings, surely. Those are natural human reactions to pain and betrayal. But age, uh, rage and anger are old clothes that we must strip away, take off. And in Christ, there are new clothes to put on, to forgive grievances. Just as God has graciously and freely forgiven you in Christ, hand that out to others. And so in that situation where I decided to, to uh, have some patience in a situation where I felt I'd been lied to, for only that person to gain an advantage, to save face. And after pausing for some time, I, I just felt, I realized, because you, know, you only have two choices when you've been offended, by the way. You can confront and forgive, or you can let it go and forgive. Those are your two choices as a Christian. And so in this case, after giving some time to it, I decided, no, I, I, I felt it more important that God wanted me to give grace and not confront in this situation and just let that go, set it aside. And then he says, verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this is the eighth quality, love. And everything on this list is really an expression of love. Here's what the the wardrobe of love looks like. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, endurance, forgiveness. Love is a robe that covers a multitude of sins. You say, yeah, but he's such a jerk. Or you don't understand how she treated me. Well, those are the times that it matters the most. Uh, So uh, put on here agape, which is self-sacrificing affection. It's the kind of love Jesus spoke about when he said, this is how everyone will know you're my disciple if you love each other. John 13, 35. So these are eight characteristics that Christians are to put on. Remember, 
this is not for those who don't know Jesus. You can put all these char- characteristics on it. It's not going to save you. Only the blood of Jesus, only putting your trust and faith in Christ alone can save you. But if you have been made new, if you've put your trust in Jesus, then here are eight qualities that you need to put on in life. And it's so difficult at times for us to do that. So here's a, a simple guiding principle, an image that I like to use. That when life fractures you, what spills out should match who you really are. So uh, our family traveled over Thanksgiving. We, we flew, just for a few days, flew to Cincinnati to be with our other daughter and her family. And, uh, you know, you don't have to go out of your house very far to, to encounter people who are thinking only of themselves, right? Who are inconsiderate. Am I the only one that runs into these folks? I mean, you know, driving down any street, uh, being in the checkout counter, whatever, you encounter uh, people who are thinking only of themselves. And, and I ran into, you know, a few of those people on this trip, and I, and I thought it was, I was, you know, handling it pretty well. Now, at one point, there, there's this couple that had done some, I thought, rather thoughtless things, and then, and then in, in the middle of their thoughtlessness, they, they asked me to, to help with their baggage, this young couple. And I, and I did. And my wife said, you know, don't, don't get irritated. And I said, irritated? I, I help them with their baggage. And she says, and you didn't look happy about it. <laughs> and I said, in my defense, I wasn't happy about it. But those are the kinds of things I need to take off and put on what matches my identity in Christ. Because it's no big test for for me to to be kind and humble and patient when everything is going great. I get a lot of excuses why things made me a little irritable. Then I hadn't eaten in 24 hours. I was tired. I was getting a little sick. And I got a lot of other excuses if you want to hear them. But it's when the deadline looms and the frustration level is high and problems are mounting and everything is unfair and somebody does me wrong that it really matters how I respond. What, what comes out then? It's when people say stupid, hurtful things, when they require stuff that doesn't make sense, when they frustrate with needless demands, when they criticize your best efforts, when they disregard your best ideas and intentions, when they talk behind your back, that's when it matters. Ed Rowell used to tell the story about uh, needing some dry cleaning done before his trip, which was going to happen the next morning. And so he, he, he heard of this place on the other side of town that had a huge sign that said, one hour dry cleaning. So he drove way out of his way to, to go to this place and, and, and drop his suit off to be clean. And he said, I, he said to the clerk, I need this in an hour. And she said, I can't get this done until Thursday. And she, he said, don't you do dry cleaning in an hour? She said, no, that's just the name of the store. <laughs> Does your life match your name? Does how you respond and react match who you say you are? What Christ has done in you must be on display to those around you. As God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, endurance, forgiveness, and above all, love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great power on display in making those who are dead in sin alive
in Christ. Lord, allow us by the power of your Holy Spirit to put off that which belongs to the old life and put on that which belongs to the new. So that in our relationships with friends and family and strangers alike, we may exhibit what it looks like to become more like Jesus. May that be true for your glory and for your honor in the name of our risen Savior. Amen.